20 years ago, Arrested Development hit the stage, slamming the gangster-dominated world of hip-hop with defiant lyrics of hope. Soon, Arrested Development became the first hip-hop group to take home a Best New Artist Grammy and Grammy for Best Rap Single for their anthem, Tennessee. With the success of their single, Mr. Wendell, Arrested Development brought the issue of homelessness to audiences worldwide, donating half of their royalties from this top-grossing song to the National Coalition for the Homeless. I got a baseline, if blind, even in braille, I will create rhymes. This time, gonna excel and not forsake mine. We kinda like some black Einsteins with a great mind. See, I done figured out the plan, yeah, the man on the media, the dictionaries and encyclopedia, the judges and the courts, referees and the sports. Till you win, ain't a friend of people of dark skin, so they send all the warriors and the leaders to the pen, and the rest to Afghanistan. Africans and Mexicans, that officer you questioning, the envy should be resting in. Better watch your mouth in the South, I'm suggesting this for your protection, man. be heard performed by arrested development and our guest today of arrested development speech welcome thank you so much oh i love it and that's what you performed at the women's march in atlanta yes it was amazing the energy was absolutely amazing there what happened? I mean, what was Atlanta like? You know, <laughs> Atlanta, the South, we're told that people would not come out in a place like that. Uh, excuse me? Well, they definitely <laughs> came out and showed out. Ah. It was amazing. It was literally amazing. We had over, a, well, what I heard is 100,000 people. They were expecting, because it was raining, pouring rain, they were expecting 5,000. And then we were hoping for 10,000 when we saw the 5,000. It turned out to be anywhere from 80 to 100,000 um, that came out. So it was, and, and just to see the sea who, of humanity, people of all races, all religions, all sexual orientations were out there together to fight against injustice and to fight for de- human decency. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really powerful. It was, it was, it was really, really. You could feel it. Um, it was almost like you could cut it with a knife. Mm. Mm. You know, one of the benefits that people have, of course, like you being a performer, is that you had a vantage that the audience doesn't have. So, what does it feel like to be there, actually watching that? What kind of energy enters you at that point? You, you, you sense um, a feeling of hope because you do realize that people are more common than we are different, especially when we're faced with a common enemy. When, when there's something that's truly out there that could destroy things that we come to notice or come to look at as commonplace, come to think of as, 
as almost a right, then you start to realize how much we need one another. And that's what it felt like in that crowd. And, and it was cool because I was on stage, but because it was the type of event it was, it was a, a, a very small event. I mean, meaning not the number of people, but the organizers, it's all, you know, people volunteering. So the stage wasn't huge. It wasn't all of the, the hype in the hoopla. It was very grassroots. And because of that, I was right there with the people and, and John Lewis was there and, and, and that was amazing just to hear him speak and to know the history of his sacrifice and his uh, convictions and his passion. So it was just amazing. Now, what did John Lewis say to that audience? Well, it was very convicting. First of all, just to see his presence. You see a man who you know, you've seen him on television, you know his history. Uh, if you know anything about history in America, you know he's part of that. You see a man who's lived a lot of life, and he got on stage and talked about the fact that during the 60s, when he was with Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he marched, I mean, numerous times, but was arrested 45 times back in those days. And then he said he was arrested since he's been um, in the House, I think he said 15 times he was arrested even then for protest. Mm -hmm. So just to see the amount of conviction, but also the amount of sacrifice that it takes for justice to be served and that you have to have a heart and an attitude of perseverance. And of course, when we talk about John Lewis, for for those who may not know, I, I hope they will look him up, uh, Congressman John Lewis of Atlanta. But And of course, he came under siege a couple of weeks ago for expressing his opinion once again about the state of the country and the new administration and the election. And he came under heavy siege. And thank goodness people did come out in support of him or just the decency uh, because of his sacrifice. We're talking about a man who was the youngest person on the platform to speak at the March on Washington. And the reason he was there and the way he got there is because of the physical sacrifice that he had to make. You know, we often talk about soldiers in the military and say, thank you for our service, for your service. And we really should be saying it to the people who were part of that struggle. Thank you for your service. John Lewis was beaten almost to a pulp, beaten in the head by anti-human rights forces in the South during the civil rights era, and left for dead. So this is the man we're talking about. This is the man who did put his life on the line for the country. Without a doubt. You know, and um, and he is unfortunately one of the last surviving representatives of of the leadership of that era. So when he when he speaks, for those who don't know, there's a certain there's a certain speech impediment, yes. which is still from that terrible beating in the head over the right to vote and the right to be treated with dignity. And there's a certain gravitas because of his life and the way he's lived his life and his longevity. So, um, you know, I mean, just to be on that stage in his presence, the audience, what was their response to his just walking on stage and showing up, because I'm sure that's an audience that very well knows 
something about a, a lot about him. Well, it was overwhelming applause over a roar of respect and just shouting out, we love you, shouting out Fifth District. We support the Fifth District, which is one of the um, things that uh, President Trump attacked in one of his tweets to John Lewis. So, I mean, it was... Once again, um, misinforming the people who would not otherwise know, uh, demeaning people in the district and totally misrepresenting the district as though it's a bunch of drug heads and crack dealers. It happens to be one of the most well-developed districts in Atlanta. You could characterize it better than me because you're in that area. How do you uh, characterize John Lewis's district and, and that area, what has happened in Atlanta over the years? I mean, it is extremely diverse area. This is where the CNN Center is. This is where the Center for uh, Civil Rights and Human Rights is. This is, this is it's huge. It's, it's right in downtown. It's the heart of Atlanta. I mean, it's the heart. It's, it's so many huge buildings and huge corporations right there in his district. So it's definitely not mm -hmm. a rundown, torn down district. And, and that's what people were offended by, this idea that the president of the United States could tweet out, and this is just one of many things that have offended people, obviously, but it offended people to suggest that he would just tweet that out without understanding what the district is. And more importantly, without having a deep respect and at least um, enough to just restrain himself when it came to talking to John Lewis. John Lewis has made more of a sacrifice for this country than the newly installed president has. That's a fact. Exactly. And so, and that's what people are, are responding to. You're a father. Were your children at the event? My my son is out of school. I'm out of the, the city in school. Our daughter went by herself, actually, to the march separately than my wife and I, because we went to perform and she wasn't ready to go yet. She came by herself. She's 19. Uh, an amazing wo woman, an amazing actress as well. And she came out by herself and just went to March. Mm. And what was her perspective as a 19-year-old? She felt like she had to go. She said, you know, I was tired. I didn't feel like going anywhere, but I had to go. She felt like this was, this is one of those times in history that she felt as a millennial she had to stand up and she had to uh, be a part of the sea of people calling out for change and insisting on dignity and justice for people. So she felt obligated. And that's what she said to us, felt obligated. And on this point, what made Arrested Development? First of all, how were you contacted? That's a good question. How were we contacted on this? I think... Um, I'm not sure who actually reached out to us initially to see if we would want to perform, but we get a lot of offers to perform for movements and for marches and charities. And it's because they know that number one, we're one of the few hip hop groups that are still doing it that, that are positive, that we talk about upliftment, we talk about revolution and change and social justice. So, and then the other thing is they know our heart is sincere about these things. So we've done a lot of work charity work, marches, and so on and so forth in the past. And so people look to us 
to be involved. And so I forget who exactly it was and even when it started to happen, because we have a lot of gigs lined up. But this one was one that we knew we wanted to do. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this show was, yes, because of your positioning, because of the work that Arrested Development has done, because of the sound. But I also wanted to do this show because I honestly know so little about hip hop. In fact, you could go towards the nothing end of the scale, you know, except the few things that I've, you know, to be right out there and out front, except for what my daughters were listening to. I do say, you know, my former son-in-law, though, was the editor-in-chief of The Source. So I have a little bit of a contact, but not the kind of knowledge that I would like to have. And I and I thought this was a great opportunity for the audience. And I think there are people in the audience much like me, maybe not as far off the cliff, but much like me, uh, that I actually represent by saying, please, please tell me more, because I really don't know what I should know about hip hop about the legacy, about where it comes from culturally, and I'd like to know. So let me ask you that. Where do you begin in terms of saying to me, a person who wants to know, what is hip-hop? Well, hip-hop to me is a, first of all, the most powerful music on the planet Earth today. And I'm not saying that objectively, I'm saying that from a, a, a factual standpoint, It's the one music that literally any place in the globe that you travel to, um, hip hop is a huge fundamental part of the music scene in that country or city or state. So that's one thing, it's extremely powerful, but where it started was in the Bronx, New York in the early 70s. And in essence, it was a spinoff from disco, which if you remember that era, you know, a lot of great dance music, But how it spinned off from that is it was more started from the poor communities and a mixture of Jamaican DJs that came from Jamaica but lived in the Bronx and Bronx DJs started to use the turntable in a way where they would spin the same songs that were being spent in the discos. But the discos, if you remember, sort of had a a more elite brand to it. It, it It was about going out, dressing up having a lot of money, whereas hip hop was coming from the poor community. It was about creativity and a counterculture to to the disco scene in a sense. And so they'd spin that same music, but instead of playing the whole song, they started to play what they called the breaks. And the breaks were the breakdown of the song. And instead of just letting it pass by like every other DJ around the world did, they started to actually repeat the break of the song and that became the essence and the feel of hip-hop music. What do you mean uh, by the break of the song? So the breakdown of the song, if you remember any great song, you would have the song and it would have a verse and then a chorus. And at some point near the end of the song, there'd be a breakdown. And usually that breakdown was funky. It had just the drums. Like James Brown's Funky Drummer was a great song all the way through. But there was a point when he said, give the drummer some. And that point right there was just the drums. And that's the break of a song. And so in hip hop, it was focused on that section of the song. And it would repeat that section over and over again, looping it, so that ultimately it would become the best part of the song 
to repeat so that people would start dancing to it. And the type of dancing that they would do was break dancing. Mm. And they called it break dancing because it was during the break of the song and it was new types of dancing. And then also MCs or masters of ceremony would get on the microphone while the DJ's playing these breaks and would start to rap or basically hype the crowd up. So that's the essence of what hip hop was in the very beginnings. What it has turned into is what I shared in the beginning of my explanation, which is the most powerful music in the world. It's, it's chart topping. The artists that are doing this music, nowadays at least, are making hundreds of millions of dollars, um, starting all types of other industries from whiskey to perfume to clothing lines and so on and so forth. And it literally spans the globe. So it's a music of the youth. And, of a, and it's a counterculture uh, movement from the sort of elite uh, disco era. Oh, my goodness. I just love this education of Janos that you just gave us. <laughs> this was wonderful. I had no idea about the derivation of breakdancing. You know, I think of a style of dancing. I think of the kids on the street, but I did not know that that's where the term came from. You mentioned um, from Jamaica. Were you saying from the Jamaica, Queens or Jamaica, West Indies? Oh, that's a good point. Jamaica, West Indies. So a lot of the culture of hip hop music really came from the early sound systems in Jamaica, in the hills of Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, where sound systems would drive around the neighborhoods and have these loud speakers and the DJs would play reggae music and dance mm -hmm. hall. And that music would resonate throughout the hillsides and, and all the people that were working class, uh, hardworking people. So that same energy was brought to the Bronx with people that, that moved to the Bronx. And um, so it was between those American DJs that were already there in the Bronx and some of those West Indies DJs that had knowledge of the sound systems that they used to, uh, or that they still do in Jamaica that created the sort of aesthetic of what hip hop is. And just to ask when, you know, these days we might say, well, it came from the streets, but then unfortunately people have put a negative connotation on what it means to be from the streets. So, but didn't it begin in literally an outdoor kind of community um, coming together of people, even, even that area of the lower Bronx were there projects there or something? Yeah, definitely. In fact, one of the first DJs to ever really play or, or have a hip hop party was DJ, DJ Cool Herc. And DJ Cool Herc was there in the Bronx. He would plug up, up again, uh, plug his sound system into the light post. Mm. And it was outdoors. It was free. It was a, a party for the community. And to be honest, ironically, the beginnings of hip hop was a movement to stop violence. There was a lot of gang violence, one gang against the next, but when the music would start playing and people were having something else to, to focus on, they were having a great time with great, intuitive, amazing music and these breaks that I explained earlier, and people were using um, sort of a competitive energy with rapping against one another, so they would do battles in rapping, but also do battles and dances, so they'd have break dance battles and rap battles, and those were nonviolent ways to still have a lot of uh, competition, but also a great deal of fun. Now, of course, it was mixed with 
violent sometimes. There would be shootouts and things that would happen, but there was a movement that was really a nonviolent movement in its essence that, that began with hip hop. More from speech about his life and time, his music and his message, and more of the Janice Adams Show after the break. We're back on the Janice Adams Show. Today, let your voice be heard. Arrested Development Speech Speaks Out. Speech, how do you come to hip-hop? I first heard hip-hop with a record called Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang in 1978 or 9, I think it was. And Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight, was it blew my mind. Here's a record that was using the music of Good Times by Sheik, famous, fantastic disco song. But as I explained earlier, using the break. And so the breakdown of Good Times, real famous breakdown of Good Times. And they would use that, that loop and start rapping. I said the hip hop, the hip, the hip, do the hip, hip hop, you don't stop the rocket to the bang, bang, boogie, say up, jump the boogie, to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a test, I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to say hello. I'm to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, the purple, and yellow. And for the first time in my life, I had never um, prior heard a song that didn't have any singing in it. It had all rapping and people basically talking over the entire record. And it was about eight or nine minutes of pure bliss to me. I absolutely was blown away. And from that moment on, I knew I wanted to be a part of hip hop. And even more importantly than that, because I wasn't a rapper yet, I would try but I wasn't a rapper yet. At that time, I was a DJ. But DJs, up until hip-hop, would let a record play, and as the record would fade out, which most records faded out in those days, you'd let it fade out, and as it was fading out, you you had the art of fading in the next record on the second turntable, and you would fade that up. But it never was on beat, and so people who were dancing, they would have to sort of wait for a minute and get the beat of the next record that was coming in, and they'd start dancing again. Well, with hip-hop, there was a record called Grandmaster Flash Adventures on the Wheels of Steel that came out on Sugar Hill Records. And what was amazing about this record was that it was a recording of Grandmaster Flash DJing and scratching, which had never I had never heard this sound before, but scratching a record, moving it back and forth to the rhythm, which had never been put on record before. And so it was truly revolutionary in music. things that were being done as a music style it was 100% unique and of course there's nothing new under the sun there was people that came before 
Sugar Hill Gang that that in their own way rapped, like the Last Poets or James Brown or Pigmeat Martin. But there was but there was still this uniqueness to what hip hop brought to the table. When when you then refer to Last Poets, you know. James Brown, I guess we should add Gil Scott Heron. So Gil you're, Scott Heron, yes. you're really talking about then a continuity of this music. And indeed, Correct. probably then we should be going right back to the work songs and to the music of the enslavement era because it is on the continuity. What, where did you come to music in that arc? For me personally, as a DJ, when I realized that you can make music with the turntable, not just play music, but actually make music by scratching and looping these breaks, as I explained earlier with DJ Kool Herc, I realized I could become a musician because now the new instrument is the turntable. And same difference with MCs who maybe couldn't hold a note, but could rap, could start to rap. And there became new ways to create music out of, just like you said, a tradition that really started from even the motherland of Africa on into America when we were enslaved, on into blues and jazz and funk and so on and so forth. So it was a continuation and at the same time adding some really, really unique and fresh elements to it all. And um, yeah, so that's where I jumped in. I jumped on board as a DJ initially, and then I started to rap a little, uh, some years afterwards. So let me get this straight. Essentially, you are a musician, you're a composer, you're a performer, but you didn't begin as a musician. You began as a DJ um, excited by scratching the records. That's correct. And my mother used to be afraid to death as she heard me scratching these records (laughs) because in her time, Using putting the needle on the record, you left it alone after that. Well, in my time with my generation, we were now grabbing the record and moving it back and forth with the needle still in the groove, and it felt like it was destroying the record. In truth, it actually was destroying the record. It was destroying the record. (laughs) (laughs) But we were excited about the rhythms that we could create with that scratching and the breaks that we could loop, and it was a whole new movement. And that was the beauty of the beginnings of hip hop. And do you remember the first musician you met who heard you scratching up his record? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I don't remember. But I tell you this, the first musician I ever seen that embraced DJ scratching was live on the Grammys. And it might have been 83, but it was Herbie Hancock. Oh, and he did a performance of his hit song, Rocket. And he had a DJ behind him named Grand, Grand Mixer DST. And he did scratch it. Oh, 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 oh,
that was the first time I'd ever seen it live. I'd heard it on record, but I'd never seen how they were doing it. So when I saw it live, and many people like me saw it for the first time on that, that broadcast, and we were blown away. Another just blow away moment in the history of our hip hop memories. Wow. Where are you from? I'm originally from Wisconsin, Milwaukee, to be exact. And your parents, where are they from? My, my parents, my mom is from East St. Louis, and my father is from Henning, Tennessee, a small town in Tennessee. Henning, Tennessee is a big name town in Tennessee, thanks to... Um, Alex Haley. <laughs> that's it. Yes, yes. Alex Haley and Roots. Um, yeah. Did you know him by any chance, or did she no, know I him? Didn't. I was, um, I used to spend all my summers in Tennessee and I never had known him or anything. My grandmother may have, because Hennings is quite a small town. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, in, when you read about Alex Haley, he talks about the shucking corn and taking peas out of the pods and so forth on the front porch with his grandmother and and that generation of women who were talking on the porch and passing down the stories of their history. So um, that's the way I, shelling peas is what I'm trying yes, to say. Yes, well, we used to do yeah. that. My grandmother and I would do that. We, we um, I was raised, when, when I was with her, I was raised shucking the peas and doing various things out in the garden and, you know, outhouses and well water and all of these things, you know, it was, it was an amazing um, time. Tennessee. 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 Lord, I've really been real stressed. Down and out, losing dress. Although I am black and brass, problems got me pessimistic. Brothers and sisters keep messing up. Why does it have to be so damn tough? I don't know where I can go. Let these ghosts out of my skull My grandma passed, my brother's gone I never at once felt so alone I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel Not just my spare tire But Lord, I ask you To be my guide and force the truth For some strange reason it had to be He guided me to Tennessee An, an amazing time, an amazing legacy. And then once again, I ask you then about that arc because it was, because it was, that was a time and a culture seriously rooted in the church, was it not? Very much so. In fact, my grandmother was deeply rooted in civil rights throughout the Tennessee area, known as an activist, but also deeply rooted in her church. And we would go to church. I was bored to death in those years, but go to church with her constantly throughout the weekdays and on the weekend. So very much engulfed in that. And the music, even the music of a lot of um, Atlanta hip hop artists, you can feel the influence of the church in the music. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, that that was exactly what I wanted to ask you um, is in, in terms of your early music influences and what were they? My early musical influences were people like Queen and Kiss. It was rock stuff because in Milwaukee, 
my parents came from East St. Louis and, and Hennings, but they moved to the suburbs in Milwaukee once my father became a successful entrepreneur. He opened up a restaurant. And they moved us to the suburbs. While there, I had all white friends. And so I was influenced by Queen and Another One Bites the Dust and We Are Champions and Kiss and stuff like that. But then later, um, as I got a little older, my dad started to run a nightclub. And I was introduced to Cameo or Marvin Gaye and the Spinners and Four Tops and so on and so forth. So all of this music started to just flood me as far as my influences. To be, so to be honest, I'm influenced by a lot of those different dynamics, not just the soul music that inspired me, but also that rock music and that pop music that I was used to when I had all my young white friends before I was probably 10. I had primarily white friends and I would listen to the music that they were being exposed to and I loved it. More from speech about his life and time, his music and his message, and more of the Janice Adams Show after the break. Janice Adams Show. Today, Let Your Voice Be Heard, Arrested Development Speech Speaks Out. When people say that music is like the soundtrack of our lives, what does that mean in terms of the needs of the audience for the music that you are performing? I think music is extremely important to to a, as a soundtrack to our lives, and also a marker of where civilization is at. You know, I, they say it was either Hitler or someone else that said, you give me the youth's entertainment and I'll take over the nation. And the truth of the matter is, what the music that's being played is, and what the TV shows and the other mediums of entertainment that are being put out, that is going to be the marker of where the culture is going to start swaying sooner or later. Some people say it's a reaction to what's already happening. And I think that that's partially true. But even more importantly, it is dictating what people will be exposed to. And I see it in my own children. My son is 22. My daughter's 19. The things that they listen to are the things that they start to digest and start to become, whether they want to or not. So it's very important for a diverse representation of music to be out there, which it used to be more like. But in today's times, it's been way more streamlined than it ever was before. Well, that goes then to almost, as I listen to you say that, that seems to go to the core of how Arrested Development came into being. Um, Right at the top of your bio, you talk about... 
Arrested Development slammed the gangster-dominated world of hip-hop with defiant lyrics of hope. That says something about how the music was seized by taking over the culture of the youth that time and what it did to change the society in those days when A&R was king. Yes, definitely. So how did you break out of that and still make your own mark? You know, it was very, it was very important to follow the people that inspired us. There was people like uh, KRS-One and Public Enemy, De La Soul, the Jungle Brothers, Tribe Called Quest, who were also doing conscious music that enabled a stream of consciousness to continue. And for Arrested Development, we were just taking it to the next level. The first to do a lot of things, but yet still paying homage to those that came right before us. And that's very necessary. I think one of the things that has changed in rap music in particular is with the millennial generation, they're not generally as knowledgeable about the rap artists that came prior to them. And so because of that, they don't have that lineage that they can tap into to, number one, even get a bearing of how legitimate their music is and what it should be doing in, in comparison to what's already been done. As I explained a second ago about the origins of hip hop, one of the things hip hop always did was pay homage to the music of the past. We, we spun it, we, we played it on the turntables and looped it. This generation, for numerous reasons, not all of their fault, has done more of a sort of a, a cut of the umbilical cord in a sense, as far as older music. Mm-hmm. I will say this though, in their defense, a lot of that wasn't their fault. And number two, a lot of the young generation now is more interested. They're, they're starting to research well, who is Arrested Development? Who is Public Enemy? Who is this group or that group, this artist and that artist? And that's inspiring. This generation is starting to bridge the gap again and very interested in learning about, for instance, the golden era of the early 90s and late 80s. They're very interested in that. And, and we love it because we think it's not just because it benefits us as a band, but also because we think it's extremely necessary for the empowerment of the people. You know, what I hear is you're talking about being grounded and the the younger musicians who are coming up that what's happening as they then find out who they are in this larger picture. One of the pieces that I was really struck with of by Arrested Development was the song Mr. Wendell. How did that come about? Mr. Wendell was a perfect example of what you're sharing, being grounded. We, before we were famous, obviously, we were hanging in studios and recorded music. Well, a lot of the homeless people in our neighborhood would come by the studio. We always welcomed, welcomed them in instead of shunning them away. And we'd sit there. Sometimes they'd spend the whole day with us. And we only had a couple bucks. We were broke ourselves, but we were doing music and having a lot of what we call just building sessions. And we just start reasoning with one another, talking to each other. And the principle of that song came from those times that we spent with the homeless. That was really a major part of our of our times as Arrested Development in, in the beginning days. So that's where that song comes from. Go ahead, man. 
Have a dollar. In fact, no, brother, man. Here, have two. Two dollars means a snack for me, but it means a big deal to you. Be strong. Serve God only. Know that if you do, beautiful heaven awaits. That's the poem I wrote for the first time. I saw a man with no clothes, no money, no plate. Mr. Wendell. That's his name. No one ever knew his name, cause he's a no one. Never thought twice about spending on an old bum until I had the chance to really get to know one. Now that I know him, to give him money isn't charity. He gives me some knowledge, I buy him some shoes. And I think blacks spend all their money on big colleges. Still, most of y'all come out confused. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. Mr. Wendell was our biggest hit to date, and we gave half of the proceeds of our royalties, our record royalties, to the National Coalition of the Homeless. Mr. Wendell has freedom, a free that you and I think is dumb. Free to be without the worries of a quick to this society, for Mr. Wendell's a bum. His only worries are sickness and an occasional harassment by the police in their chase. Uncivilized, we call him, but I just saw him eat off the food we waste. Civilization, are we really civilized? Yes or no? Who are we to judge when thousands of innocent men can be brutally enslaved or killed over a racist grudge? Mr. Wendell has tried to warn us about our ways, but we don't hear him talk. Is it his fault when we've gone too far and we got too far? Cause on him we've walked. Mr. Wendell, a man, a human in flesh, but not by law. I bid you dignity to stand with pride. Realize that all in all, you stand tall. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. One of our convictions as a group is that we don't want to just be musicians and we didn't just want to get rich. We didn't mind having some money in our pocket, don't get me wrong, but we didn't want to be rich only. We wanted to be able to help because coming from my newspaper upbringing with my mom and my dad, it was a big deal to me to not only hear the problems that are happening in this world, but to help bring solutions. And that that had been bred into me. So it was something that was deeply... Um, a deep conviction for me, and so same difference with the band. So yeah, we gave half of our proceeds to the National Coalition of the Homeless. I love the way you're speaking about this because then it it just shows the authenticity uh, when I look at the work you've done. The first album titled Changing the Narrative. If anything changes the narrative, it sounds like what you did with, with Mr. Wendell. Tell us about Changing the Narrative. Changing the Narrative is our newest album. It's um, won a number of awards for Best Album of 2016. We're still supporting it and promoting it in 2017 because we released it a little later but in 16. But it is a free album. We're giving it away to our fans. And all they have to go to is go to our website, ArrestedDevelopmentMusic.com, and they can pick up Changing the Narrative for absolutely free. The album is really a soundtrack for activism and forward movement. It's, I believe, a pivotal record in hip hop right now. Musically, it's dynamic. Lyrically, it is uplifting. And it, I think, helps paint a picture of where we are in society right now. And um, in a way that a lot of hip hop has for one reason or another decided not to address. A lot of hip hop today really has ignored 
some of the most pivotal issues that are going on in our times, whether it be the election of, of Donald Trump or whether it be um, the numerous police killings of, of innocent young black men and, and even a black woman or black women. A lot of different issues that have been just really huge issues are just ignored in hip hop today by most artists. And so we think that this album is 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 a great record to put the times in a certain perspective and even give some solutions. And why did you do it for free then? It was a number of reasons. One is record sales in the industry have literally went from 100 to 10%. That's how low record sales are for all artists. And so it's really tough to sell records. And number two, it's very expensive because of some new laws that came into effect. It's very expensive to sample and to get clearance for the samples. And so we decided to keep the art of sampling and keep the art of looping and all the breaks that I was just talking about earlier about hip hop. And yet, just give the music away for free. It alleviates the issues of having to get rights for various things. It alleviates us um, having to change how we want to make the music in order to make it affordable. And it still allows us to have our full creativity. So it's, it's, it's really, a, and, and not to mention, it's to give to our fans, which we, like I said earlier, I would do this for free. And so it's one of our convictions that every once in a while we're going to put free music out there. When I asked you if there was a, a song that was really important to you right now, the song that you named was I Don't See You at the Club. Why? <laughs> to me, that song literally is a definitive song for this age. I feel like there is so much emphasis in hip hop on the club. To be honest, most hip hop breaks or comes out and, and gets its first audience in the strip clubs, ironically. And this song is answering that. It's saying, you know, I don't see you at the club. And my answer is, I don't see you at the bank. There's so many other things that are just as prevalent or important as getting out and, you know, just escaping from reality at times. There's other things that are just as important. And the song addresses that. It goes from everywhere from Sandra Bland, who was obviously um, unjustly stopped by the police, stopped ended up in jail. for a traffic infraction, I believe a, a, a blinker, a, a blinker a, a, and yeah. ended up dead in her jail cell, supposedly having killed herself supposedly having killed herself, which her family has always contested that. It's one of those situations that we talk about in the song, all the way to ageism, which happens in hip-hop music, in all music, in all areas of business. And um, marriage, we talk about the destruction of the family in the song. We talk about a lot of things that are extremely relevant in today's times. And we think that the song, while it being a funky and great jazzy type of song, it also is a song that we believe explains where we are in the world right now. Everything that you have been has been wasted on some fun. But I believe that I can have fun until I'm deceased. Just please play the song in the clubs and in the streets. I'm out. We go out on I Don't See You at the Club Anymore from Arrested Development's new album, Changing the Narrative. To hear more of our interview with speech and for a link to the song, visit my website, JaniceAdams.com. That's J-A-N-U-S Adams.com. 
From the studios of WJFF Radio Catskill, our thanks to you for joining us today and to speech. I'm Janice Adams. Yo, are y'all even still doing anything? Because um, I, I don't hear y'all see y'all in these streets. We always up in the streets. That's where we be at. We be in the streets. Nah, nah, nah. I mean, like, yo, is, is anybody feeling y'all? Well, I, I think so. If they're smart. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be knowing what to say to y'all. I don't, you know, got the pear trees faking like a dogwood. The thunderstorms in the springtime, it's all good. And rappers killing it in the club, but can we brag now? Not black lives just had to die to get a flag down. And my rappers helped the rapper Southside Atlanta. Was just to Selma, 50 years marching Alabama. Was just to Columbus, Ohio, teaching little kids. South by Southwest and Austin, teaching sampling. Hey! That gynecologist, I do a lot of interviews. And I'm making some nice figures like a gym or do. And like Sandra Bland, my band be changing lanes without a signal at all. Now you want us to hang? You know some things are substantial, whether or not financial. And playing us will put other stuff way up on the mantle. So don't try to adjust your radio, don't change your channel. We're taking down the glittery lights and just light a candle. Come on. He said, I don't see you at the club. I said, I don't see you at the bank. People gotta live their life and do their thing. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. He said, I don't see you at the club. I said, I don't see you at the bank. People gotta live their life and do their thing. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. He said, I don't see you at the club. I said, I don't see you at the bank. People gotta live their life and do their thing. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. I mean, is anybody checking for arrested development? Yeah. I'm seeing marriages dying just like miscarriages. We've been at it two zero years, changing the narrative. Father to my two kids, plus to add to my parenting. We took on a teen in a desperate need of a family. He was jacking cars and some other type of insanity. Playing the role that media says is his humanity. Blacks is getting smoked with police taking the tote. They hate it when we do stand up and yet they like a joke. Hey! The people losing hope to where most of them don't vote. And rappers turning the trap and dope, really these dope. I'm trying not to become someone I don't know. Look into a mirror, is it friend? Or is it foe, foe? Or is it both, both? Should I swim or should I float? Should I blend in within the scene that fits me most? Should I live life and try to fight for what I know? What I know is that my real life starts after the show. He said, I don't see you at the club. I said, I don't see you at the bank. People gotta live their life and do their thing. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. He said, I don't see you at the club. I said, I don't see you at the bank. People gotta live their life and do their thing. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. Let me live, let me breathe, let me be me. Finally consoling from years of mine that was stolen A sea of creativity coming just like an ocean I'm falling in love with music as if I drank a potion My rhyming and my producing has never been more potent I've overcome my challenge and life has been more imbalanced And people want to judge me on everything but my talent They saying that I'm old like it's something I can't control Aging is part of the package deal of having a soul And what do you know, all you got to do is play the role Of living life and just breathing Lines start to recede, things you start to believe in Perspectives that you're seeing Regardless of your hue, it's just common to human beings they tell me that youth and strength is wasted on the young and that everything that you have been has been wasted on some fun but i believe that i can have fun until i'm deceased just please play the song in the clubs and in the streets i'm out